morning and welcome to Jay's Talk Plus on a beautiful Friday, taking you from 10 a.m. to noon today on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Ben Schulman to my right, Julia Kreutz, filling in for Blake Murphy this week for just one more day. Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick on the show as well. And we have the pleasure of being joined by Show Ali for the first 30, 35 minutes of the show as well. Uh, show coming from sunny Orlando, Florida. The weather not too bad here, though, so I, I guess not as much of an adjustment coming back as usual. How uh, how was the trip, and, and how are you now? Yeah, I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it was nice. It was actually, there was a period of time where it was warmer here than it was in Orlando. Really? Like, you know, when you go on vacation, you kind of think to yourself, oh, I want to, wherever I'm leaving, I want it to be awful. I want, it to, I want the weather <laughs> to stink. And you know what? It was, it was very nice in Orlando, but I think there, it was like, yeah, 32 degrees most of the time I was there. It was like 36 degrees here I saw for some p- periods of the, this past week. But uh, hey, no complaints. I did watch the uh, home run derby in a hotel room and flipped it on just in time to see Vladdy uh, beat out Randy Rosarena. So that's always fun. In the uh, in the home territory of yeah. Randy Rosarena, yeah. or at least in the area, kind of close on that side of Florida. Julia, you had a war with the uh, parking garage yesterday, but I heard it went smoother today. How's it going? Certainly smoother today, Ben. All I needed was to get acclimated, you know what I mean? And, and so today I just nailed it, came in, parked right in front of the elevator. The elevator worked. There we go. Which is was, was also <laughs> a, a positive here. And uh, so I'm fired up. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. You know? Very nice. Feeling you should. very accomplished. Now, I will say this real quick. I work with this guy, with Show Ali, usually starting uh, late afternoon okay. or evening. And I got to say, Show... You're not as lively in the morning. <laughs> I have been told. I have been told. I haven't. This is like my, my coffee's here. I haven't taken a sip of it yet. So Ben said we're here for like 35 minutes. So maybe in the last like five minutes, it'll kick in. Who oh, knows? I can't wait. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, I feel like we all work more evenings maybe yeah, than morning. So uh, while I very much enjoyed doing the show and would love to fill in for Blake another time. Waking up, you know, I, I live a little bit far from the city. Yeah. Waking up at 7 a.m., not my favorite thing about the show. No, it's, uh, uh, it's certainly <laughs> an adjustment based on our lifestyle, usually covering sports, right? But I think everyone at home is absolutely rolling their eyes at us because like 99% <laughs> yeah. of the real jobs on the planet, uh, this is not anything from the norm. No, really. no, no. But uh, great to have you in here, show, and great to be with you for one more Hey, Julia, really exciting show coming up. Lots of guests we have on today's show, not just Show Ali, but Nick Picoro, a writer for the Arizona Republic, is going to come in, talk some D-backs. Chris Rose uh, of John Boy Media and longtime host uh, of Intentional Talk on MLB Network up until a couple years ago will join us in the second hour. And so will Ben Wagner, uh, who will return to the Sportsnet Radio Network to call some games for the Blue Jays after the All-Star break coming up. We've done a lot of All-Star break talk show, but before we, you know, really get into it, how did you enjoy? You said you watched some of the Home Run Derby. I don't know how much of the game you got to see, too, but... How did you enjoy the All-Star break this year? Yeah, it was kind of fun. I, I do think, and you have talked about this before off-air a lot, but just I think it, the All-Star week could benefit from maybe like one or two more additional things, like th- events perhaps. So, you, you know, you look at the NBA All-Star festivities and they have all sorts of things. And uh, I, I know they'd have the Futures game and so on and the at the celebrity softball game and they have those kinds of things which do exist. But 
some kind of skills competition being added to the MLB All-Star Week, I think would be fun. Like the game itself was was certainly fine. It was I don't think anything crazy happened, particularly in the game. Well, it was kind of nice to see some Blue Jays factor in for for better or for worse, let's say. Yeah. And of course, uh, Jordan Romano, you hope he's everything is all all well with the back and so on. But you know, beyond the home run derby, even if Laddy hadn't won, I actually thought it was really cool just because Adley Rutschman, the switch hitting thing was really cool. Luis Robert hitting like just effortless home runs. On on the flip side, I was a little disappointed with Mookie Betts uh, with like what eleven home runs or whatever. It was yeah, well, I picked round. him to beat Vladdy on this show, <laughs> so I'm more than disappointed with Mookie Betts. But it, the home run derby was just, it was generally cool, and I think it is when you take into account all the All Star games across all the various major sports. The Derby probably is the single coolest event beyond the dunk contest, dunk competition in the NBA, and even the dunk contest kind of like is hit it's or miss sometimes. Kind of faded a little bit. Yeah, like, you know they throw. I love the G League as I said yesterday, but they put G League guys in yeah. now. Like, it's not always the, the best of the best anymore. And yeah, and guy like you, you miss your dunk like four times in a row, and you're yeah. kind of like oh, I don't know if this is kind of loses its little bit of its luster. <laughs> but the, let's say they had a skills competition which involved like guys having to hit a moving target you know, uh, turning a double play the fastest or, you know, seeing how many people could turn a triple play or the hardest thrower or, you know, I, I always remember a number of years ago they did those like sports science things where you could see Drew Brees more accurate than an Olympic archer with throwing footballs onto a target. Like stuff like that, right? I think that, that could be kind of fun. I, I know there's a lot of like, oh, well, you know, guys could get injured. You know, no one's going to want to throw, try and throw 103 miles an hour at the All-Star game when they could blow their elbow, like, which I, I totally understand. But there's probably something they could do, yeah, right, sure. to make I will the say, All-Star game more fun. You, we spoke a, bit, a little bit about this, and the skills competition is something that I think everyone can get behind. Yeah. But it was the first time I've heard a triple play uh, suggestion, <laughs> and that actually sounds really fun yeah it would be really cool we had talked about double play especially we were trying to think about like hey could you know matt chapman might have been just on the fringe of not getting in how could you involve a really good defender a guy like that and maybe you know you get a ground ball you step on third throw to Whitmerfield at second he steps on second throw to right. vladi at first that would be a lot of fun i think uh overall a solid all-star break though some, some good and some bad for the blue jays and i think we'll get into some of that with ben wagner as well one of the first things I wanted to do with you show is Julia and I picked our first half awards Ooh. yesterday. Okay. Uh, and you are obviously a staple on Jay's Talk. We do it a lot together on the weekends. So I wanted to hear your takes. We can give you who we have sure. for each award, and then you can decide. You know, you could agree with one of us. We won't take it personally. You could even go off the board because <laughs> I think some awards there were maybe three finalists, and we picked two of them, but someone else was there. So. I guess we start with kind of the easy one. Blue Jays MVP for the season. Julia went Kevin Gosman. I went Bo Bichette. Ooh. Where do you go with the MVP of the first half? Yeah, I I will go Kevin Gosman. That's the name that comes to mind most uh, most immediately when when I think of MVP. Because uh, beyond beyond those two guys, it kind of gets a little murky. I, I guess it was could, a two man race, right? Yeah, he could. I guess pick Jordan Romano, perhaps. Right? I, yeah. I guess you could pick one other position player, maybe. But I don't know. I feel it feels like it, it, the two best players on the team by far are Bo and and, and Kevin and Gosman. I, like, I just think to myself, where would this team be without Kevin Gosman? Like the team has survived a number of even Bo slumps, but they have survived like some some power outages from the bats and Bo has been included in those. But I shudder to think of where the team would be pitching wise because pitching and defense have been a hallmark of this team, where the team would be if Gosman's ERA was not 
what, low threes for most of the season? Three, yeah. I think it is Ooh, right now, I, maybe 304. He's so nasty. He's a top five, I, in my opinion, AL Cy Young candidate. Maybe not right at the top, but if you're doing a top five, he's probably like in the four or five category right now and certainly room to improve in the second half of the season. So I, I got to, Julia, I got to go Gosman. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was going to say, okay, first of all, Ben said we're not going to take it personally. Well, those are your words and I'm, not I, mine, so I'm glad you're I'm just never speaking to him in, again. I saw I'm the just look in Julia's eyes when, I, when he, you said that, so I, I had to go gossip. <laughs> but I will say also this, that uh, Ben threw sort of a curveball uh, uh, at us uh, for the MVP award and said, Maybe Tim Mesa is this team's okay. MVP. He's got about as good of a strand rate as anyone in baseball, <laughs> lowest ERA in the pen. Doesn't have a, a ton of innings, but has a ton of appearances. So he's like my he's like my unsung hero. I know we do some of that talking. That's unfortunately not one of the awards. But you know, whether it's like a Whit Merrifield or who's the or an Eric Swanson, who's the young unsung hero? I, I have Mesa. Uh Mesa would have filled in for this next award a couple of years ago, but now he's been good for a couple of years. Bounce back player of the year. So a, a guy that carried over from last season to this season as a blue jay. Probably didn't have a great performance last year. Now he does this year. Now, I believe we both picked Jose Barrios Agreed. for this one. That's right. Yusei Kikuchi was another name we brought up. And I thought a really good name from a from a texter that, and by the way, text your thoughts if you didn't get in yesterday, 590, 590. A texter mentioned Trevor Richards as well as a bounce back candidate. Who are you thinking here? The, you know, when you were mentioning the relievers, the, the name that came to mind was Trevor Richards, I think. And Jose Barrios, I think, is a phenomenal candidate because he's a starter, and I think starters disproportionately affect the game more than a lot of relievers do. But I I love the the conversation around Trevor Richards and how it shifted. Because last year, I mean, the, the three of us in different in different points, last year we were talking about how how he maybe should be cut from the team and how, you know, maybe this year he had to make a case for not getting DFA'd in favor of like Nate Pearson, let's say. And now I, I think when you, and you guys know, I love the circle of trust talk, right? If, you, if we're talking about the circle of trust beyond Jordan Romano this year, and I, I would honestly make the case as, as the second first half of the year wound down, I would make the case that Trevor Richards was the next guy in the circle of trust, even maybe beyond Eric Swanson, because really? Eric, Eric Swanson, yeah, the beginning of his Blue Jays career was completely lights out in the last, you know, what, like 19 starts or 18 starts. He kind of, he kind of, I think it, it might've just been fatigue, honestly, because he was on track to blow away his innings, uh, his, pardon me, his appearances uh, streak or record or whatever you want to call it. So Eric Swanson, certainly very, uh, very, very, very much a part of that. But because he wasn't on the team last year, I feel like I'm going to go uh, Trevor Richards because he has been asked to do so many different things and he's done them all so well. And he, I mean, there was a great example towards the end of the year where he comes in with guys on run, runners on first and second and not, not one run scores. He didn't have a single out and he gets them all out. Certainly some help from the defense as well, but Richards has been, Richards has been, has been going in high leverage situations at the end of ball games or has been opening for you. He's been giving you two innings of relief work. Like he does so many things. And for a guy that, you could have made the argument should have been DFA'd last year. I mean, he's been one of the most reliable arms in, in the entire team, starter or in the bullpen. He did have a little bit of a rough patch earlier this year. He and did. I, I do think that you and I spoke about it a little bit and uh, how sort of the, the narrative of DFA Trevor Richards is so quick to appear oh, on the internet. And uh, it seems like that's not the case, right, at all. You just have to give him sort of some time and understand that, pitchers especially go through those phases and fatigue is a big part of it. And I do think we're seeing some of that from 
Eric Swanson here as well. I, 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 or we saw that to wrap up the first half because you're right. He was very, very good. And then there was a, a period there when it just didn't seem like the stuff was working as well. Yeah. He was leaving uh, balls that weren't necessarily, you know, located properly and, and you, he got hit hard. But uh, if, you know, given the, the chance to rest a bit here to return, uh, you know, second half starts today, I do believe that we're going to see Eric Swanson back to, uh, to where he was before. I sure hope so. Yeah, I, I think that, like you mentioned, fatigue is a big part of it, overuse uh, at certain points, partly due to some of the other bullpen arms not pitching up to the level that they, you know, maybe expected, like a Garcia, and, and some of it due to the offense, not providing them enough opportunities to win games by six, seven, eight runs and not have to use a Swanson. I should also mention, and you brought up yesterday, which was good, Whit Merrifield, I think, could also go in the bounce-back conversation. His numbers were actually pretty fine at the end of last year, but he didn't really grab that second-base job last year when they traded for him. And he's an everyday player now, absolutely, and an all-star. So uh, Whit Merrifield with definitely a good bounce-back. Talked a lot about Swanson, and, and he certainly could fill in in this next award. He was my pick. I believe you picked Chris Bassett. For this next one, which is best newcomer. Uh, so Ooh, rookies okay. or trades or, or signings. And I think we did deem that Nate Pearson is eligible okay. for this award because, it, you know, it had been a while since he had really factored in for the Blue Jays. So he is on the board as well. What are you thinking for best newcomer? Oh, that's a great one. I, I, I would love to pick Bassett, but uh, I, I remember someone had texted us, Ben, a couple of weeks ago and someone said something like Bassett is a number three or four starter kind of masquerading as a number two or starter. And, and I don't think the texture meant it as a diss by any means. I think it was simply that like, that is the role he has fulfilled for like the vast majority of his career. It's just, unfortunately the other members of the rotation had kind of up and down seasons and you kind of weren't sure what you're going to get from Burias. You kind of weren't sure what you're going to get from Kikuchi. Uh, and then Manoa has been what he was for most of the first half of the season. So Bassett kind of like um, almost by default because he was pitching so well, basically became the Jays number two starter. I, you know, I think I will go, with Nate Pearson because cool. and I and I, I I readily admit it's because of expectations being what they are and expectations were relatively low. I, I think I said to you guys during spring trading that if Pearson threw one pitch at the major league level this season, I would have considered the season a success. <laughs> and, uh, he's thrown way more than one pitch and he's done it very, very effectively. He did have, we talked about kind of a bumpy road, Julia, for, for Swanson a little bit. Pearson had a teensy bit of a, a lull perhaps since for he sure. got called up, right? There was that, it was the road trip in Baltimore and Texas and you and I did Jay's talk for the Baltimore series and he got lit up when he yeah. played the Orioles. But apart from that game and the very next game when he got the one out against the Rangers, Pearson has been... I would say phenomenal. Like the the fastball moves. It's very, very. It's you know, he's touching triple digits on the radar gun. Um, a lot of the times he's throwing it. He, even he might have to ramp up to it sometimes. He he's showing off other pitches in the arsenal as well. And I know I, I know people wanted to see Pearson as a starter, but for the biggest surprise candidate, I mean Nate Pearson has been he has been so 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 good as a newcomer because. I don't know. I don't. I just don't know that you could have necessarily expected this yeah. based on the very long road Pearson has had. Yeah, and uh, the breaking ball has been working as well. For sure, right? especially that that curve. Ooh. Yeah, there was a one at bat, and I listen. I'm not going to remember who it was. It's not <laughs> even who the Blue Jays were playing, but it was. Uh, I'm sure that it was. A, he was facing a guy with a lot of power, and he threw only sliders <laughs> for that entire at bat, and he struck. Uh, 
the guy out, whoever it was. I'm so sorry. I don't remember. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's what stuck with me was, okay, this is clearly a game plan here, right? This is clearly coming from information that they have gathered type of thing. And it's sliders only. And he managed to make it work and to get it to move enough to fool, to fool uh, the batter. You know, he had to throw maybe six or seven pitches in that at bat, but it was only sliders and it ended in a strikeout. And that for me was kind of an aha moment of like, okay, this guy is not just velocity, right? He actually has uh, a repertoire that allows him to get outs at the major league level. And sure, it's not as a starter, but perhaps his stuff works better right now as it is as a reliever because he can really focus on that fastball and the curveball and the slider and not necessarily worry about facing an order um, twice or three times. So that's kind of what we're seeing from Nate Pearson. I'm totally fine with that pick. I think it's a, it's a good pick and honestly good for him, right? Good for him for staying healthy, for actually getting to talk about baseball instead of talking about whatever it is that's bothering him and uh, really grabbing that opportunity and making the most of it. It's been very fun to watch. Do you guys think he is now firmly, you know, in the, if we're talking about guys who are being deployed in high leverage situations, if Eric Swanson and Romano are in there next to Trevor Richards and Tim Mesa, obviously Tim Mesa, it's almost like a special case because he's deployed in very, like very, very specific situations. But, but like you were saying, the strand rate is phenomenal for him, but you're adding Mesa in there. Pearson has got to be in there as well right now, right? Yeah, I, I think that because he can give you a little more length, he at times becomes a little situational like right. Mesa, where it's like, hey, can do we need two leverage innings? So maybe he comes in in a sixth inning because he can pitch the sixth and seventh and bridge you to an Eric Swanson. But I, I see no reason that he's not right now, you know, ahead of Jimmy Garcia in a lot of situations. Jimmy has pitched much better going into the break, and yeah, I yeah. think that – they would really like to still deploy Jimmy in high leverage when possible. But yeah, I think Nate, the majority of the situations he comes into these days, as opposed to when he first came up and was pitching a lot of low leverage, they're close games. A lot of the time the Blue Jays are leading. And even if they're not, it's they're down one or two in the later innings and they'll throw them in there against the top of the order against power hitters. Like Julia mentioned the like Romano Swanson Garcia, pardon me, Richards, uh, Pearson, Garcia, I, I think has pitched better. I, my only point is, if these are the guys who you're relying on from innings six to nine, that's like bullpen's in pretty good shape these days. You do want to augment it, and Chad Green will probably augment that in the not too distant future. But I mean, it's certainly in in a very good place right now. You know, cross your fingers, hope everyone remains healthy. But even if someone does go down, and the chances are between now and you know the first week of October, that the chances are that one or two guys will probably get injured because that's just how baseball works. But uh, even if one or two guys do go down, the bullpen is in a pretty good spot right now. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's on, it's on the offense a lot yeah. to, to sort of uh, give these high leverage guys a break because there's a reason why they've been pitching so much, right? It's that uh, the blue Jays are playing a lot of close games and a lot of low scoring games in, uh, in many ways. And that will tax a bullpen. It will. And it may even make a bullpen look a little less deep, than it is because you're always seeing the, the the same high leverage guys. And then if one of them falters at one point, it's very, you know, it's easy to point at the, at the bullpen arm and say, okay, this is their fault. But the truth of the matter is that this offense was meant to score more runs and it just isn't. Yeah. So that is something that I'll be looking for uh, in the second half here to see if 
the Blue Jays' offense can actually give uh, its uh, its relievers a break here. And that's a great segue into our Defensive Player Ooh. of the First Half Award, uh, which felt fairly obvious to us. Both of us went with Kevin Kiermeyer in this situation. I do think that there is a, a bit of a fight put up by Dalton Varsho. Uh, and, you know, what, one person texted in and they said that they wanted Bo Bichette to be the defensive player of the year because I think it, it had to do with as much improvement as yeah. the skill that he's headed short. What are your feelings there? Yeah, I, I would love to go. I, part of me wants to go, maybe because the Diamondbacks are in town, I'd love to pick Dalton Varsho, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go kick Kiermaier as well. Kiermaier is, it was, I mean, Varsho is pretty high up there in like the whole defensive run saves metric, but so, I mean, so it's Kevin Kiermaier. So Varsho Kevin, actually leads all major league outfielders in defensive run saves. I guess, because I guess the only guys I can think of, last time I checked the list, who would be above him, up, not just from outfielders, but from up any position, has got, I know Haseong Kim with the Padres was pretty high up there. Fernando Tatis Jr. was pretty high up there, which is frankly shocking considering this is the first year he's played in the right He's still field. second. That's, he is second in defensive that's, run saves. That's save. pretty absurd. Yeah. So, I mean, the guy's a star, right? But my, my point is that Varsho has been very much in the thick of things with defensive run save. We saw just, no, what, a couple of, a week ago or a week and a half ago, him make a, just some brilliant throws in from left to get guys at home and get guys at second base when they thought they could stretch a long single into a double. So, hey, that's that's great for Varsho. But uh, Kiermaier has been just phenomenal out there in center field. And I think that the other half of what makes Kiermaier a great pick for this award is also that his presence has actually allowed you to shift George Springer over to right field. I don't think he's played a single game in center no. field all season. And it doesn't, I feel like we've seen far fewer DH games for Springer this year. Like there have been some, obviously, and he was placed on the paternity list right before the all-star break. But beyond that, he doesn't, he hasn't DH'd all that much. Whereas last year, I feel like we saw him DH a lot and maybe a part of that was because he was being asked to do a lot in center field now he's being asked to do slightly less in right field so perhaps there's an argument to be made for for wanting a little bit more offensive capabilities from springer but he to his credit he has been rounding back into form in the last two two three weeks let's call it before the all-star break but uh, i think that's why i would pick kiermeyer because his presence has allowed that whoever you put in left to be shifted around, whoever you put in right to be shifted around. And most of the time it is Varsho and left and, and Springer and right. But uh, if you want to give Varsho a day off because he's not hitting well, hey, you can keep Kiermaier in center and you can put Merrifield in left field or you can put Biggio in right field if Springer wants a day off and you don't want to put him in center. Like I think Kiermaier's presence has allowed the off the outfield to be continue to be even more versatile, which is kind of cool. I love that. Yeah, the only... I mean, Matt Chapman obviously should get a mention sure. as well. Yeah, he yeah. is actually the Blue Jays' leader in baseball reference war. Part of that due to his offensive contributions, part defense. The only argument, and I picked Kiermaier, so I agree. Okay. I think in the favor of Varsho, other than the three extra defensive runs save maybe, is uh, many more innings played defensively. Kevin Kiermaier is kind right of a, a three out of five yeah. kind of guy, or maybe, you know, four out of six days he's playing. Whereas Dalton Varsho, like when... Kiermaier goes to the bench. It's not Springer and center because it's Varsha. Varsha, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I think Kiermaier's the defensive player of the year. This one a tough one, so we'll we'll definitely do our answers and give you a sec to think if you need. We were looking like our favorite quote or like I called it favorite personality moment, like moment <laughs> that that wasn't necessarily baseball, super baseball oh, related. Man. Something about these guys. And so I went with the quote uh, with Brandon Belt 
when he, he gave a quote to MLB.com when Shohei was leading him by over a million votes in the DH race. And it's like, that's how you know it's rigged. Everyone knows I'm a better hitter and better leader than that guy. Uh, Julia, what was yours again? Yours was the Gosman. Mine was Gosman's Rally Beers. Um, <laughs> that was a good one, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Blue Jays started to turn things around. He scuffled in that uh, outing against Minnesota. And so he said, you know, I was in, I was in the training room, and when they started uh, turning it around, I did exactly what I was okay. doing because I'm superstitious. And then someone asked, well, what were you doing? He said, well, I had a beer out. So we started winning, so I had to open another one. And he called it Rally Beers. That's a good one. I like that. You know, one that comes to mind from a couple of weeks, maybe actually it was the week right before the All-Star break, but uh, his, it was Whit Merrifield's conversation with Hazel uh, after he hit the two home runs in in a game and uh, actually it might it might have been yeah it was the two home runs because he hit the two home runs in the second game and he played it was the that was a double header yeah against the chicago white Sox and he played in the field i think in both games for sure and so he so hazel comes talk to him he was the walk-off interview for sportsnet and he he said a bunch of funny things in that interview he's kind of she was kind of like you're one of x players to play both in the field and hit a home run and do all these great things and she, he was like tell me how the, uh, is that how tired are you and he's like well that field's all the way over there and our dugout's way over here. And he, and he, and he looked exhausted. And he's like, I just need a, a beer and a foot rub, Hazel. Yeah. And then she's like, all right, we'll make this quick. And then at the end of the interview, she said, uh, have one for me. And then she, and he w- goes, I'm going to have a couple. And then funnily <laughs> enough, if you go and watch the post-game availability o- online, he, so whoever asked him the first question on the on the beat in Chicago, he like is taking a swig of a beer can and he has to <laughs> hide it down below the camera. So that was pretty funny. I I think it's because you don't really think of Whit Merrifield as like a particularly huge personality. Honestly, I don't think you'd think particularly think of Kevin Gossman as a huge personality personality either. And and it's, I think it's just they don't show that personality always to the camera. So when it kind of slips through, it makes it a little more fun. We had a texter text in the beer and the foot oh, rub quote. Exactly. So that's a good one. Uh, let's turn some of our attention here before we hit a break coming up in a couple minutes to this Arizona series. And, and it'll be a discussion going on in the show. But I, I think we, you know, what we have to go to is obviously the blockbuster deal that was made in December. Before we get to, you know, how we feel about the trade, I'll start with you, Julia, I guess. Just what are the feelings, Lourdes Gurriel, Gabriel Moreno coming back uh, that you are having and that you expect to be uh, around Toronto as these guys, you know, stride in in a different jersey? Yeah, it's uh, two very different uh, scenarios, I would say, right? Lourdes, very much a fan favorite. I will never forget Uh the day after I think the trade happened, obviously it was a big deal. So, you know, we're scrambling at MLB and I'm getting radio uh, requests, TV requests, all of that. And then I hop in the elevator in my building and uh, this uh, old lady who lives in my building, who's very, very nice and loves talking baseball, immediately says, oh, I'm going to miss him so much. I'm really going to miss him. He was a great personality. I love his hair. And I was like, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that is how... Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to be remembered in this city as a as a big personality, as a tremendous hitter, right? A guy that really has those bat-to-ball skills and, and sort of developed that over time, even though the power was kind of uh, shaky when he left. And uh, a guy that, you know, cultivated uh, very strong relationships here, whether that is with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Santiago Espinal. He obviously has... Uh, very, very strong connections to this team. I do believe that that will sort of be at the forefront of of whatever Lourdes Gurriel Jr. does when he uh, comes back here. And as for Moreno, it's difficult to sort of 
uh, necessarily describe or characterize how it's going to be for Blue Jays fans to see him in a different uniform and doing pretty well, right? It, it may be that uh, the Blue Jays will look at this as the one who got away, or it may be that uh, the Blue Jays will look at this as, okay, this guy helped us uh, sort of get to where we wanted to be with the purpose that we had. So I don't know. It's, uh, it, it's, it'll be... It'll be very different uh, scenarios and situations for these two guys, but they both play such an important factor in where the Blue Jays are right now and how they got here. Very interested to hear what you guys have to say, too. I am looking forward to seeing the reception for Lourdes because it, it's always fun when, when he steps to the plate for the first time. I am certain the first time it happens. I haven't seen, I'm not sure if the lineup is out. It's pretty early, so maybe not. But Lourdes, if, if, you, if he's in the lineup tonight, he almost certainly will be before the end of the weekend. So the reception for him is going to be phenomenal. Yeah. He's going to get a standing ovation, I bet. I think, I, I think from the entire stadium because he has been, I think like you're saying, Julie, he's a very, he, he endeared himself to fans, not just with his play on the field, but kind of the way he, he interacted with his teammates and the way he interacted with fans off the field as well. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, and, and like you said, you and I actually did the Jays talk after Moreno was called up for the mm-hmm. very first time when he made his major league debut. And and we talked about all the phenomenal statistics and he has continued a lot of that stuff in Arizona. I, th- I don't know that he's hit particularly well offensively, but defensively has been one of the better catchers, certainly in the National League at the very least. And uh, so I think Diamondbacks fans are thrilled with him. Um, but I, I, I do ultimately feel as though the, a lot of the attention, even though Moreno is, is is the centerpiece of the deal for the Diamondbacks, it's kind of funny to think that the centerpiece of the attention tonight probably will be on yeah. Lourdes just because of, of he was kind of one of the, I don't know if I wanted to say faces of the team, but in terms of the public-facing guys who, who knew how to, ha- quote-unquote, have fun. And I think that's something that we have talked about to a certain extent. Like, a lot of people text in or call in and ask, has the lack of quote unquote fun affected the team's offense or affected their mood or affected the clubhouse in any way? And I mean, without being in there 24 seven, it's hard to know, but I think that is, that is going to be why I think people are going to have their eyes on Lourdes basically at all times. I I, I do think though, I'm not the most prolific gambler as you guys know, but I am going to bet on the house on Lourdes hit a home run at some point this weekend. You should do it every night. It's going to happen at some point. It's going to happen at some point. And, And I guess that gets us, you know, into the discussion of the trade, and we got at least about five minutes here to talk about it. And I'll, I'll just start with what my opinions are on the trade. Yeah. And it's the first thing is that it's a difficult trade. Whenever a trade is made, people want to decide winners and losers. Sure. And I think it's a difficult trade at this current point to decide that because it is six years of Gabby Moreno to go for Arizona. It is four more years to go for Dalton Varsho, and it's this one-year stint for Lourdes Gurriel. Just a, a quote from uh, Nick Picaro's, or Picaro's article, pardon me, uh, of the Arizona Republic. He's going to join us after the break, by the way. Coming from uh, the Diamondbacks general manager, Mike Hazen, and, and he was talking about how he believes still that both teams have won in this trade. He talks specifically about Varsho saying he's going to go off in the second half. He's an elite defender, same dynamic player he's always been. He just hopes it starts on day four of the second half, meaning uh, when the Diamondbacks and the Blue Jays will no longer play each other. But it, it is interesting. You know, we had talked a bit yesterday when we were talking with Dan Schulman, too. The offense for Lourdes has been huge this year, especially on the power side. You know, he had five home runs all of last year. Yeah. He hit 15 this year. Has retrieved it for sure. But as Joe and I have talked about a little bit, it's not necessarily that different of a Lourdes than usual. In April, March, he had a 699 OPS. Mm-hmm. 
In May, he had a 1.130 OPS. In June, he had a 625 OPS. And in July, he had a 709 OPS. And I think we can all agree, you know, Lourdes is not a defense first player. No. His value is created with the bat. So it's it's hard for me, and I, I feel like the the majority reaction, and especially the the easier reaction is to say that the Diamondbacks, especially due to Gurriel's offensive production, like you mentioned, Moreno, I mean, he's almost thrown out half the runners that have stolen. It's really good. His offense, though, you know, his OPS is right near Varsho's. Right. Uh, it, it, it's hard for me to say that, like, the Blue Jays got fleeced here because I think, and, and, and I'm open to harsh disagreements, I think that, A, Lourdes Gurriel's hit a lot different this year than the point that they traded him, and, and B, it's much harder for us to quantify defensive value. And I think Moreno brings a lot of defensive value, but it, it is at least worth noting for me that in baseball reference war, they would determine that Dalton Varsho has had a better season individually than Lourdes or Moreno. Right, right. In total, they've contributed more wins above replacement. But uh, I'm done narrating. So, uh, Julia, your no. thoughts? No, no, no. You, you're, you're correct. I, I think it's kind of soon to uh, pass judgment on that trade specifically. The eye test kind of leads you to be like, mm, I don't know. I think this was a, a skewed trade or, or not necessarily a balanced trade, but it is very soon, right? And it, to show's point from earlier, when we were talking about defensive players of the year or of the first half, uh, Dalton Barsho has brought something that is beyond his defensive capabilities or being a left-handed bat. He has brought versatility for this lineup, right? It's uh, The Blue Jays are... are they can do more things. They're able to do more things in the outfield as well as in the lineup because Dalton Varsho is here. And that's something that they never would have gotten with Lourdes or with Gabriel Moreno. So it's very much about where a team is and, uh, and what it's trying to accomplish for sure. Uh, again, on paper, I will say that when I, when that trade happened, I, my eyes went wide a little bit because uh, yes, we expected Moreno to go, the other side yeah. on whatever trade happened. And the Varsho trade was one that we had uh, discussed at length before it happened. And so, but the, the addition of Lourdes was a little bit surprising. For I, sure. I do have real quick, Ben, yes. uh, just uh, the Prowl starters for this, Ooh, for this series. Let's go, finally. All right, so here we go. So, <laughs> Jose Barrios, followed by Kevin Gosman, followed by Yusei Kikuchi. So, that's the like D-backs series. So these are the first uh, three starters that we're going to see out of the break. So a couple notable things there, and then we'll circle back to the trade in a second. Barrios, the last guy to not pitch for the Blue Jays going into the break. He's on the most rest. And Dan Schulman had kind of predicted yesterday that they'd pitch Chris Bassett fourth to break up Kikuchi and Manoa. We could definitely be seeing that with Bassett not coming out to pitch in this first series, especially given, you know, everyone's on full rest. But show your thoughts on the trade or the starting rotation. Well, I, I like the starting rotation for sure. I think that someone had to go between Kikuchi and Manoa. Like, I, don't, I, I almost didn't really care who it was. Someone had to go. I kind of thought it might have been Barrios, but your point about him having the most rest makes the most sense because Bassett obviously pitched the last game before the All-Star break. So Barrios, you want to get him back into a teensy bit of a rhythm, and he has had a pretty phenomenal first half of oh, the yeah. year. So I think you, you feel good about throwing Barrios out there against a pretty good Arizona Diamondbacks team. Um, whether or not Cormoran Carroll plays, they're still a very good team. So, and, and you know what? After he got the injury, he still played in the last couple of games. Mm -hmm. And the All-Star All break. Yeah. So I think he's he's probably fine. Uh, or at least they feel he's fine. Maybe that he's got that Wolverine blood that Russell Wilson talks about. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, right? But uh, I do think that I, I love the, the, the distribution there, though, because 
maybe gives Manoa a little more time to rest after having worked on some things during the All-Star break. And Kikuchi has pitched, all, thi- all, all things said, pretty well so far. Maybe maybe not again, maybe not to the All-Star level, as we, as we discussed, mm-hmm. but uh, certainly much better than last year. So you get Gosman in there. You hope you don't have to use the bullpen too much on Saturday. And then you get Kikuchi, and, and then you have a, and then you know what? You also have a day off on yeah. Monday, now that I'm thinking about it. So that means Bassett and Manoa can pitch this first series afterwards against the Padres. And you're still, I think, putting a, a pretty good step forward. And we all expect Manoa would pitch against the Padres. So we'll see what a lot of these guys have after some time off. But I like the, I like the split of the starting rotation. That makes some sense there. That is Sho Ali. Sho, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you can hear him on the Sportsnet Radio Network, on Jay's Talk and, and elsewhere. Uh, have a, a good rest. I don't know when you got in yesterday, but uh, assuming that, you know, you might need a little sleep uh, after the long flight. So have a good rest, and I'll see you soon. Yeah, I got in yesterday very early, and then I promptly fell asleep on the okay, couch. Okay, so you're so good. We're good. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> you're good. That's show Ali. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. We're going to step aside, but when we come back, Nick Pecoro from the Arizona Republic will join us. We'll delve deeper into that trade and talk a little bit more D-backs. That's coming up on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Appreciate you tuning in today on this Friday morning. Going up until noon, I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz filling in for Blake Murphy for just this one more day. Jeff Azapati, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. We're going to be joined momentarily by Nick Pecoro, Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic. And before we get into the specifics as we wait for Nick to come on, how fun is it, Julia, to see the Diamondbacks, a, a franchise that, frankly, since winning the World Series in 2001, has not contended very much in meaningful baseball. I think Goldschmidt maybe had one or two, yeah. like, fringe playoff years where they just got in and got knocked out pretty early. H- how fun is it to see the Diamondbacks kind of back in the baseball limelight? Yeah, it's honestly... Yeah, I mean, after Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know, leaves, goes to the Cardinals, and then Nolan Arenado uh, shortly after joins him, sort of start a new era there. Uh, two guys that, you know, faced each other a lot in the AL West and are now teammates in the NL Central, or uh, NL West, pardon me. But, you know, obviously Goldschmidt had a playoff presence with the D-backs, for sure, but now you sort of have this new crop of talent highlighted by guys like Corbin Carroll, highlighted by guys like uh, Zach Gollin, who we're going to see on uh, on Saturday here. He is here. phenomenal. It, it's been awesome to see. And and even Lourdes himself is part of that uh, that movement. He's obviously got some more experience under his belt. Moreno, you can certainly put in that category. So this is a, a team that is going to be good for a long time, and it's going to be an exciting team for a long time because they're – starting to find their stride and do a lot of things really, really well. Now, 
are they a playoff team this year? I think it uh, very much hinges on how the, the second half goes. It's still a formidable uh, race in the NL West. The, you can never really count the Dodgers out of uh, winning that division. And the San Francisco Giants have been playing extremely well as well. Yeah, I, I think when we went into the year, it was, okay, the Dodgers and Padres, that's the big race. The Giants, for the last couple of years, have been good. So you knew they were going to hang around. I don't think many people expected this out of Arizona. And as we start the second half today, they are tied with the Dodgers for the lead in the National League West. Technically, the Dodgers have the edge on winning percentage. They've mm -hmm. won one fewer but lost one fewer game. But it, it is, I think, really fun. And you do never know, though, because you could say, you know, we were looking at how good the AL East was in part of our discussions yesterday. Yeah. The NL West has a bid for second best division in all of I baseball agree. for sure because their sleeping giant, the Padres, at 43 and 47, you never really know, and the Blue Jays will see them right after the Diamondbacks. You never really know what's going to happen there. But, but as Arizona technically falls in second in that division, they are two and a half up right now on the Giants for that final wild card spot. We're going to see if we can get to Nick Picoro in a little bit, but let's go to a guy like Corbin Carroll sure. for a second. Yeah. I mean, I was trying to look at it today. I don't believe there has ever been an Arizona Diamondbacks rookie of the year. It's not the oldest franchise in baseball, yeah. of course, being incepted, you know, just about what, 35 mm -hmm. years ago at this point, maybe a little bit closer to 40. Corbin Carroll, not only could be the most exciting rookie in the history of the Diamondbacks, a lot of talk about Ellie De La Cruz, and rightfully so recently. Yep. But I think Corbin Carroll right now is the biggest contender for National League Rookie of the Year. I think so, too. I think he has an edge. If I'm not mistaken, was Ellie De La Cruz sort of a, a mid-season call-up? Yeah, so he's played 30 games so far. Yeah. Carroll played in 86 games in yeah. the first half. So I would give him the uh, the edge for that reason. He's also an all-star. Yeah, is, uh, starting all-star, too. Which is Pretty wild to think about, especially for a guy that plays on the D-backs who don't necessarily have, you know, the uh, the most expressive fan base for that you can point to it and say, oh, you know what? It's just the fans overvoting or whatever. No, this is a guy that's there because he he has earned it. He deserves to be there. You know, 148 OPS plus right now, uh, an OPS uh, north of, of 900 He's got 26 stolen bases, and that to me is the most eye-popping number of this uh, of this line for Corbin Carroll. So there's a lot of excitement around this guy. It's not just that he has come on and hit for average and hit for power. It's that he can do several different things on the field that have put the Diamondbacks in a good position to win, as well as just brought some excitement for that city. And then the, the pieces around him uh, tie the whole thing together and make this honestly one of the uh, more interesting or exciting uh, teams to, to follow this year. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of guys that Blue Jays fans might not know very well. And I think part of it, like you mentioned, the Diamondbacks are not the most widely publicized team in right. Major League Baseball. They also play at least close to the West Coast, which means their games are on late. Not a lot of people on the East Coast are watching. And I'm not sure people fully know, you know, what kind of just beast at the plate Christian Walker is. 18 homers this year and 848 OPS at first base. And this is really the second year that Walker's been really good. I think Blue Jays fans remember a time when Cattell Marte was yep. someone that they thought they might target. Well, Cattell right Marte, on. after some injured years and a couple down years, I mean, he is right back to what he is doing. They have... Geraldo Perdomo, who mm -hmm. 
who has been really, really good for them. And he's a 23-year-old shortstop hitting well above average right now. It is, you know, and even I heard Corbin Carroll talking about this at the All-Star break. They have Evan Longoria rotating in them, right. rotating in for them as well. And he talked about how massive Longoria and his experience have been. This team, I think, is a bit deeper, especially on the mm-hmm. offensive side, than maybe a lot of people realize they are, especially over in the east side of North America. Let me ask you something, though, because okay. we had a, um, a conversation yesterday about who sort of has the edge in the AL East, and I think you gave it a little bit to the Orioles, I or maybe which yeah, team is the best in the AL, I right? thought the Orioles might catch might them be, just due to some raise injuries. Right on. Like and, um, and I said, you know what? I will give the Rangers an edge here, um, in addition to the Rays. Obviously, we both agreed on the Rays. But I did say something about uh, veteran presence, experience, and that making a difference come playoff time, you know, and, and even on the road to the postseason, what it is that you can do to remain healthy, what it is that you can do to sort of optimize your time on the field and make sure that you're helping the team get to October without sacrificing October, right? Is there a similar um, narrative or a similar point here to be made about the D-backs in that NL West competing against teams like the Dodgers or even the Giants who have some veterans like Brandon Crawford, for example, and some guys that have been there uh, and uh, really experienced a full season and, uh, and the postseason as well and sort of all of the demands that come with it. Is it a similar idea to what I brought up yesterday with the O's? I, I do think that the Diamondbacks do lack a bit of experience for sure. I think the Orioles even more. I mean, we went through it. I just went through their kind of like starting nine usually. And I believe Adam Frazier was the only guy that had played in the playoffs. They have some guys off the bench, like a Hicks or something like that, that have been there. But I do think that's one of the biggest pluses of someone like Lourdes Gurriel, that he has been there with the Blue Jays for at least, you know, the 2022 playoff run, the 2021 race where they finish a game out of the playoffs and the 2020 playoff run for however you want to value that as well. And then, of course, you know, Evan Longoria has played in a World Series. He's been on many really talented teams, both, I mean, especially in Tampa Bay, but also I believe he was on that 100-win Giants team as well. That happened in 2021. So I think they are a little better served. Mm -hmm. But then again, when you compare, like you're saying, to the Dodgers – I mean, the Dodgers are like a Hall of Fame roster still playing right now. They have guys all up and down the roster who have not just made the playoffs, let's say, but a litany of World Series champions and really experienced guys starting at the front with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. And you have J.D. Martinez and Max Muncy and Jason Hayward. I mean, these are all guys that have won World Series, some of them multiple. Yeah, kind of makes you wonder if the Dodgers have been underperforming as well. (laughs) I think so. And, and, you know, they've been brutally injured at times in the season. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that they've built an older roster. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's going to happen. They've relied upon some guys that maybe they weren't expecting to rely upon. Yeah, losing Gavin Lux at the the start of the season. Right at the start. And then losing their scheduled backup, Miguel Rojas, and playing like Mookie in the middle of the diamond at times, which Mookie Betts is phenomenal, and he hung in there in the middle infield in a way that, frankly, most major leaguers, even major league quality players, could not just come from the outfield to the infield where they haven't played in years and looked like they fit right in. But I, I do think... 
that for the Diamondbacks, they could be on the wrong side mm-hmm. of a Dodgers run. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't make the playoffs. Right. But I, I wonder if the Dodgers potentially heat up and then you kind of maybe flip a coin. One of the Giants or the Padres, I think, could have a really big second half. Giants were as aggressive as anyone in the offseason. It didn't work out for them, but they offered Aaron Judge. They offered all these guys. And I wonder if some of that aggression now gets channeled into the trade deadline. And if some of those bigger names are available, could the Giants augment their roster too in a way that, you know, for Arizona, they have a solid system, but a lot of their system is on the major league team right now. That's how it's worked out for them. If you had to pick a favorite for that division, would that be an easy uh, answer for you? I think I'd go with the Dodgers. Now, it's not like easy because I, I really respect what the Diamondbacks have done so far. But I look at Arizona, too, and I think this was one thing that we looked at with Baltimore, to be fair. There is not a lot of starting pitching depth mm-hmm. on this Arizona right team. Zach Gallen has been as good as anyone, like mm-hmm. you mentioned. Merrill Kelly has been phenomenal. After that, it's been really shaky. Like, the Blue Jays will see Ryan Nelson tonight. It's a 5-1-9 ERA and 18 starts for Nelson. He's made the third most starts and pitched the third most innings yeah, out of the rotation of telling. anyone. They've had some injuries. Kelly currently on the 15-day IL. I'm not sure what the timetable is for him there. You know, they've also been one of the teams recently to take a chance on Zach Davies. That has not worked out for them. His ERA starts with a six. So it is, I think, very difficult to consistently win when you don't have quality starting pitching. But the Blue Jays of the past have done it, and the Diamondbacks of the present are doing it with some good offensive firepower and a lot coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, that uh, that tends to get exposed later on, uh, but I agree with you. So far, it has been impressive that they have been able to achieve what they have, and the trade deadline is there for a reason. And if the, if the D-backs are in a good position to sort of compete... I believe we may see some action from Arizona as well in a in a, a pretty crowded uh, trade deadline market. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, Saturday's matchup. Okay. The matchup of All-Stars. Yeah. Gosman versus Gallen. What are you expecting uh, from that game? I think it will be the most exciting or uh, anticipated game of the series. Yeah, that's very, very low run scoring, I would say. I mean, Gallen, you know, made a run at the consecutive scoreless innings record. Gosman, like we had talked about yesterday when we were doing MVP, you know, maybe like three duds and then everything else. He's so good because everything that isn't a dud is like seven innings, one run. He, he has been really good. I think it works even better when a team faces him who hasn't seen him a lot because occasionally his predictability and the fact that, you know, he's predictable because he throws one of the best pitches in all of baseball. But sometimes if you see him a lot, you can get on it a little. I think a team that hasn't seen him a lot could have a lot of trouble with a guy like Kevin Gosman, and, and everyone's had trouble with Zach Allen. Yeah, I, I, I will be very interested to see how the, the Blue Jays actually match up with him. I don't know that the Blue Jays have seen him before at all, uh, and uh, this is a team that, you know, at times, it's it's easy to forget. Like, the Blue Jays got no hit, right? Right before the break. Yeah, I know we and don't nearly want got to no hit <laughs> the day after. <laughs> I know no one wants to remember that, but uh, it's uh, that is going to be... A big challenge. Now, as we talk about, you know, maybe who would we expect to see take a step forward out of the Blue Jays uh, coming into the second half out of out of the break? I believe that uh, the offense has to come at the forefront here, and maybe uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Perhaps George Springer can give the Blue Jays a little bit more uh, of an offensive boost here. But uh, it, it, and, and that, honestly, Zach Allen's going to be a test. 
Yeah, he has never pitched against the Blue Jays, by the way. And right before we hit a break, my one favorite thing about Zach Gallon, he's been traded twice. He was in the Miami, the St. Louis, and now the Arizona organization. Wow. And I would say that his teams have not lost the trades that have traded him away somehow. His first trade, Sandy Alcantara, went oh, in the wow. other direction. His second trade, Jazz Chisholm, went in the other direction. So it's like everyone would want Gallon, but I think everyone would want Chisholm, and especially everyone would want Alcantara as well. The, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks starting a series with the Blue Jays today, but we were talking a little wider scope. We're going to continue doing that after the break. Chris jo Rose of John Boy Media joins us next. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman. This is Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He gets the last pick. He's up here. He has his own seat. Check this out. <laughs> I don't even know who's left, to be honest with you. I got Vlad. I got Vlad left. I've got uh, who else? Uh, Adley. And then who else? There's one other person. Randy. Randy. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Well, we're pretty close to Canada. So um, I think Vlad's going to have some support. Let's go, Vladdy. I see you. Suckers, I'm winning. <laughs> Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus on this Friday morning. I'm Ben Schulman. To my right, Julia Kreutz going until noon. That was Chris Rose in the home run derby draft that John Boy did, picking Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to win the home run derby, poised for a future run maybe at Prime Minister of Canada. Joining us now <laughs> on the show, Chris Rose. He hosts the Chris Rose Rotation and Baseball today on John Boy Media. You might see him on BattleBots as well, a big favorite show of mine. Chris, thanks so much uh, for coming on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, gang. How are you? Doing well. Very doing well. well. Uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty, I, I know a, a very common rotation mate of yours, Trevor May, maybe an original rotation mate uh, as well, was a big part of SiriusXM's MLB Network coverage this past week. Are you like a proud dad in a way watching Trevor go from your podcast now to national radio as well? Well, that guy, that guy's so smart, he can do anything. So, um, A, it doesn't surprise me that he did that. Uh, particularly in his home-ish town. That's where he lives in the off-season and has a place. So he was going to be there. Uh, I thought it was a great opportunity for him. He actually came by our John Boy Media All-Star Watch Party after he was done with all of his assignments, said he had a great time, really enjoyed it. He said the first few interviews he, like, locked up because, uh, you know, it's weird when you've been on one side of interviews your entire life and then all of a sudden you're the one asking questions. But he said once once he got going, it was it was good to go. So, by the way, I want to go back to the Vlad drafting um, in the home run derby. I, I just want to thank everybody else, <laughs> the van, all of my John Boy Media teammates, because they're the morons that skipped <laughs> over him. So, by the time it got to me, I was like, sure, why not? So, I wish if if I had gone first or second, I would have looked way smarter than I was actually in that clip. Okay, Chris, but be honest, uh, be honest with us here. Had you gone first or second, would you still have picked Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? 
Well, we'll never know now. Will we? <laughs> we'll never know. Yeah, I probably I probably wouldn't have. So, um, but it was fun. It was it was good to see him. They got to figure out some way to slow that thing down, though. My God, after the first round, I thought Vlad was going to have to be resuscitated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was pretty interesting to see just the fatigue setting setting in and and what that does to a to a player. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating tournament, obviously, as part of the the All Star break here, Chris. And uh, I wanted to ask you, first of all, what the environment was like, and second of all. Um, was Shohei Otani the biggest topic of conversation throughout that uh, break? I mean, I think Shohei will be uh, for the next two and a half weeks and has every reason to be. I mean, if if the Angels, they, they've got to figure out what they're going to do because if he doesn't stick around and they end up getting just a compensatory pick for him and he leaves anyway, that's, that's terrible for that franchise in my opinion. Um, as far as the atmosphere, like, I love Seattle. I think it's a ton of fun. Uh, the Home Run Derby was great when J-Rod was up. It was electric. Other than that, it was okay. Um, I think baseball made a mistake having three straight all-star games on the West Coast. To me, you, in order to eventize the thing, it has to be a little bit more under the lights more frequently, and it hasn't been. Like, it feels like a late afternoon Fox Saturday game that 28% of the country's getting, you know, because it's light out and it feels like just another game. So, um, you know, there's a few things that unfortunately they're not going to be able to do to improve the game. Yes, it was competitive at the end. We got the, the winning run on first base in the ninth inning, so that part was cool. Uh, but there just needs to be something. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, really the easiest thing to do is to pay the players if they win. But, of course, the cheap-ass owners will never do that. So <laughs> we're kind of stuck right now. Yeah, we were talking about it. Not that I want the All-Star game to mean this much, but that I thought it might be more or it was more entertaining for what it was worth when home field in the World Series was on the line. Now, it didn't make any sense, but the players really had something to play for in those games. And, and if there's some other way they could incentivize them – Maybe it would help out the All-Star game overall. Of course, that game is about showcasing players. That's the main thing that you do on the Chris Rose rotation, bringing in a player every episode to host the show alongside you. Do you think baseball is at least in a better place showcasing its players than maybe it was five to ten years ago, you know, in the in the let the kids play era as people were really kind of getting on baseball for not marketing its players enough? Yeah, I mean, we've never had better access to them, whether it's through places like John Boy Media, um, where you get to know these guys a bit better, or even just their social media clips, right? I mean, it's, and I think what we've realized is it's a great group of young, and as much as Major League Baseball has done to butcher it in recent years, in my opinion, um, the game's in really good hands with the players. Uh, I do like the rules changes, mostly what we've seen. I think we've seen way better athleticism this year, whether it's on the bases or defensively. Um, you know, it's been, that part's been really, really good. And, you know, I just hope it, it continues to grow in that sense. I know attendance is up. That's good. It feels like local ratings, even though the regional stuff with Bally's is a nightmare, um, have been pretty good. So we'll see in October if, you know, during the marquee time of the sport, 
if things continue to get better. Chris, you uh, you mentioned uh, the importance here of uh, really growing the game and, and, and drawing attention to the game and the product on the field and all of that. And uh, you mentioned, I'm not sure where this was mentioned, but you said that the teams that you're watching most here in the second half are San Diego and the Mets. Uh, see if, uh-huh. if they can sort of pull it together. And uh, I believe you may have gotten some disagreement in saying that yes. uh, this, would be a, this would be a good thing for, for baseball. Uh, could you uh, expand maybe a little bit on that? Why would it be a good thing for baseball to see these teams uh, figure it out? And, and, and where would the league go from there? So here's my point on the Mets and Padres, who are first and third in payroll, respectively, why it's bad if they don't reach the, the postseason. Um, even if you root for teams that are quote-unquote small market size, and that, that terminology is a joke because there are some really rich owners in small markets that would just rather pocket their dough than spend it on players, okay? Um, let's take the Cincinnati Reds, for example one of the most young, exciting teams in baseball. Well, those kids are going to grow up one day and become arbitration eligible. And then they're going to be on the cusp of free agency. And you know what that's going to mean? It's going to cost your team a lot more money to pay them and keep them here, right? Um, so that's a big deal. Uh, you know, you, do you want to see the Reds have to trade Ellie De La Cruz in four years because they can't afford him? Or do you want to pay him good money? I mean, the Mets, yes, they paid a ton of money to their rotation in particular, but they drafted and developed guys like Pete Alonso, Brandon Nimmo, Alvarez behind the dish is, is getting there. Jeff McNeil was a draft pick of theirs. So they have a lineup that's littered with a bunch of guys that they just wanted to be able to continue to pay. Wouldn't you like that? Or do you want to have to trade Pete Alonso because you can't afford him? So even though, it's fun to pick on the big kids that spend money. That, that might be you one day and your team. So I, I don't understand what the big deal is. Yeah, I think it's something that could hit home with the Blue Jays too coming up, especially with contracts like Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. in the next sure. couple of years uh, coming to an end. Uh, on that most recent talk in baseball, you guys were also talking about some of the top teams in the American League. I think there's a pretty clear top three, at least Rays, Rangers, Orioles, by record at least, you know, have really shot up there. The Blue Jays weren't in that mix. Do you think that they still have a chance to push up into that usher out? upper echelon of the American League? Well, they better get going. I picked them to be in the World Series at the beginning of the year. I mean, come on. I held up to my <laughs> end of the bargain. Um, by the way, uh, rule of thumb, you don't ever want somebody from Cleveland, Ohio, rooting for your team. That's usually, <laughs> you know, that's usually end of the road stuff. Um, I actually think out of all the teams in the American League that the Blue Jays are in a pretty decent position. Um, because I don't look at their club and say there's a glaring hole somewhere, right? Ryu's going to be on his way back shortly. I, th- I think I just saw he had another rehab spin. Uh, Manoa is obviously the huge wild card here. Are we going to see what we saw for most of the first half, or are we going to see what we saw in his start last Friday against Detroit? I certainly hope it's the Friday one. Uh, I'm rooting for him. Um, other than that, like they're posi- positionally – I think they're in pretty good shape. It doesn't feel like they've got a main weakness anywhere. They might need some guys to play better, 
you know, Vlad's going to have to have a way better second half if they if they want to get to where they want to get to. So I think their rotation is is good enough to sit around and see how Ryu comes back and how Manoa comes back. Their bullpen, obviously, every team can use a, a better bullpen arm um, somewhere along the line. So if you want to tinker with that a little bit, fine. But for the most, don't you feel like for the most part, like the Jays just have to play better. It's not like oh, we got to make this move. Is that the predominant feeling up there? I, I think so. I think, you know, there's some people who want a big swing, but it, it hasn't been a great farm year for the Blue Jays. And at the end of the day, like you said, there's not an obvious place to fit in a new player because you would have to you would have to pull off a pretty big swing at the trade deadline to unseat one of the nine or ten guys that go in for the Blue Jays. Yep. I mean, that's the way I see it. So um, they've got a second half where they start out with two NL West teams at home. I believe they got Arizona this weekend. And then they've got San Diego coming to town before they start a road trip. Um, So we'll see. You know, I mean, they're right in this thing. And once you get in the dance, that's all that matters, right? We We saw the five and six seeds in the National League a year ago lace it up for a chance to go to the World Series. So as long as you get in, that's good enough. Um, the buy sounds nice. I'm not so sure it's a great thing for a baseball team to be off for almost a week before playing its most meaningful baseball of the year. Definitely saw that in the National League last year. Chris, really appreciate you joining the show today. And uh, good luck with baseball today with Vinny Pascantino. That sounds like a lot of fun. We'll be tuning in. Yeah, that'll be, well, come on. You won't be tuning in. You're going to be working because it's in 15 minutes. <laughs> you can t- Here's the thing. You can watch it later on our YouTube channel. So in that sense, you can tune in. And how many times a day people say you sound just like your dad? It was a, a gazillion. I used to get that with my dad when I'd pick up the phone in my house. He's uh, got. How often do you hear it? I hear it a little, though. He's got probably, you know, an octave lower, I would say, than I do. He can, he can push it down to a spot that maybe uh, I don't have yet. <laughs> yeah. When, so when he used to yell in the house. Did he ever raise the octave or did it stay low? No, it gets, it's more of like a push down. I think of anything, you know, cause it's a, it's a broadcast Ooh. projection type thing, you know? Oh God. Yeah. No, no, no. I couldn't handle that. I would do whatever <laughs> my dad said. If that's the voice coming out of that mouth like that, got it. Listen, this was a lot of fun gang. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. That was Chris Rose of John Boy Media, host of the Chris Rose Rotation and Baseball Today and BattleBots and a whole lot more. A lot of fun stuff. Really great from Chris, and Ben Wagner is now joining us to follow that up. We got the national perspective. We now are joined by Ben Wagner, radio play-by-play voice for the Blue Jays. Ben, how's it going? Uh, relaxed, refreshed, and coming out of the gate strong, let me tell you that. Wow, that's uh, that's quite the way to come onto the show. I think this is the coolest <laughs> how-are-you-doing answer we've gotten all week. Good job. <laughs> that's what four days off for me can do. I just shoot it. <laughs> Right out of the cannon. Yeah, and, you know, the Blue Jays avoiding getting no hit in two straight days right before the break, is, uh, <laughs> or at least shut out. Uh, I, I think it may be a bit, a bit of a help there. We're going to talk about the upcoming series, but big news yesterday, and you had some discussion about it on Twitter, the release of the 2024 schedule. I know mines are on 2023 right now, but what stood out to you from that 2024 schedule for the Blue Jays? Uh, the timing. <laughs> Is always one. I, I, the All Star Break is so interesting, right? Because now Major League Baseball has lumped all these things into a small, small window, and I tr- it's like you can't digest them fast enough. They're just coming at you hot and heavy. Uh, I am a big fan of looking at the schedule, how it 
you know, rolls out, who you play, when you play. And if anything has taught us about this season, it's not who you play, it's when you play them, specifically from a Blue Jays schedule standpoint. So next year is already intriguing with the balanced schedule. Are we seeing kind of the same frequency that we saw this year? Are there going to be large gaps? And certainly there are large gaps. That's the number one thing that stuck out for me. If you look at the last month, month and a half, there's not a lot of division play in there for the Blue Jays. I mean, next to none. I think the number is 10. Um, I don't have the info in front of me right now, but when I was kind of scouring it, uh, that is one of the things that I jump to right away when I look at the schedule and I try to see where the Blue Jays are going, who are they're playing, and where are identified early pockets of play that might mean something down the, down the road. So, And then there's like the baseball lover in me. All right, where is Chavez Ravine on the schedule? Where is the Wrigley Field on the schedule? And the Blue Jays are going to play on both ends of the Chicago next year. So that's really cool. And doing it on two separate trips. Uh, so going to Wrigley Field is one of the you know unique experiences, I think, for any Blue Jay fan, if they can make the travel accommodations, because it certainly could be an exciting little pocket of play that would sink in great with Seattle, Minneapolis, Detroit. I know a ton of Blue Jay fans go down to Boston, but if you can mix a, a trip to Wrigley in there, it's something that just doesn't happen all that often. So it's a very, very unique experience, and it would be awesome to see a lot of blue and white up there on the rooftops. One of the uh, very, very good things about uh, the more balanced schedule, right, Ben? And another very good thing is that we get to see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno uh, this weekend at Rogers Center. Uh, what are your expectations for that series and especially for having these two guys back where it all began for them? I think it's going to be really unique for Lourdes to come back and interact. I, I think this will probably be a, a reset moment for Lourdes. And I don't think, you know, another reason is because. I don't think, and he was this, you know, larger than life character and almost cartoonish at, at, at times, right? With the hair going all the, all over the place. He's making smoothies on the end of the dugout. I got the sense from his teammates that he was a much larger voice, a much larger leader in that clubhouse, especially with the Spanish speaking individuals than, than what he gets a lot of credit for. And I think that impact around now Teoscar Hernandez has been removed from that as well, but around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and others that cycled through young guys or even some veterans that were established. So I think this will mean a lot for him to come back to Rogers Center and reunite with a lot of the coaches and a lot of the players that he spent really the hallmark of his career to this point, uh, establishing himself in the big leagues and making him such a vital piece of that trade, which everybody that was involved is going to be linked Gabby on a much smaller scale because his time was so brief and it felt very infrequent. Although the promise was there, but a top prospect makes a splash into the major leagues. And, you know, you come back to the spot where it all started. Um, you know, I don't think we spend a lot of time lamenting about Marcus Simeon and his debut on <laughs> with the Chicago white Sox, Right. But if Gabriel Moreno does go on to have, a much larger landing spot in the landscape of Major League Baseball. This is going to be where it all started for him. Yeah, the Lourdes stuff really interesting, I think, on the leadership too. And I think sometimes we forget the baseball family he comes from, not just his older brother, Yuli Gurriel, but his father, Lourdes Gurriel Sr., one of the great Latin American baseball players that did not play in the Major Leagues and maybe some of that being passed down from there. 
Obviously, you know, a guy who also is from a baseball family, Dalton Varsho, on the other side of that trade, his dad, Gary, a longtime coach. And, and when you look at Varsho's first half, how do you assess it exactly? I think that, you know, he's obviously been a big defensive force for the Blue Jays. He's the leader in outfielders and defensive runs saved per fan graphs, but clearly has also not hit to the level that I think a lot of Blue Jays fans and even maybe, you know, people within the Blue Jays organization thought he would hit to so far. So how do you assess what the Blue Jays have gotten from Varsho so far? Uh, I would say from a critical standpoint, even when you talk to Dalton, you know, he expected more offensively. He thought he got himself into a place offensively at the beginning of the season where he would show a better approach at the plate. Does that automatically mean average and home run power? Not necessarily. You know, he, he thought he found a rhythm at the plate where he could hit for the average, but then also an approach where he could have a higher odd base for the Toronto Blue Jays and maybe walk a little bit more. That's such a point of emphasis, especially when you look at how he was going to land in that lineup and lengthen the lineup. Left-handed power threat, absolutely great speed on the bases, certainly. He knew that he could make an impact in a number of different ways. He just wasn't getting on base as much as he wanted. So, And he's a tinkerer. He's admitted this time and time again to me, and, and probably likely you guys too. He, he likes to tinker. He's a field guy when he's at the plate. Some days the hands feel great. The lower body doesn't feel great. Some days it's vice versa, right? When it all comes together, you might have a hot patch, and he might rattle off five home runs in 10 days. And, and we've seen him lean on that power at times. We just haven't seen consistencies. And I, I think that's the bigger, biggest detractor from not only a Blue Jays fan base, but certainly starting with him, starting with Dalton. He wants that consistency. And I know that's an emphasis for him in the second half. Yeah, we'll certainly be uh, watching that uh, closely in the second half here, Ben. Another guy that uh, was sort of singled out perhaps or put in the spotlight with that trade even though he didn't go anywhere was Alejandro Kirk right so there was uh, some question there about which of the three catchers the Blue Jays would move Uh, some argued for Kirk to be moved some argued for Moreno you know without the major league experience and with what the Blue Jays are trying to do but Alejandro Kirk has not necessarily been the same hitter that we have seen in years past right he's still getting on base but the power has yet to show up this year. What have you made from uh, uh, Kirk's season, and how can he sort of retrieve uh, that form that we've seen from him before? Yeah, I think the last couple of years probably are the highest in value that Alejandro Kirk had behind him, right? And I, and I think even going back to 2021, where Alejandro Kirk's name was kind of floating out there. And it's a luxury for the Blue Jays because all three guys have been sought after. You have the number one prospect. You have the flash that Alejandro Kirk became. And there was certainly a lot of interest around Danny Jansen. Danny Jansen behind the plate. Now, you know who the Blue Jays decided to keep. Uh, This season for Alejandro Kirk, he has just not been able to elevate the ball. Whatever is going on with his swing path, with his timing at the plate, he has not been able to find the consistency to get the barrel onto the baseball and keep it off the ground. And if you show up at Rogers Center around 2, 2.30 in the afternoon, you're going to see Guillermo Martinez out there doing flips with Alejandro Kirk If it's a five-day window, probably three out of those five days, depending on what his playing schedule is. This has been an ongoing thing with Alejandro, not only before the season. Remember how delayed he was even getting to spring training. So he's been behind going all the way back to March. So this has been something the Blue Jays and Alejandro have been playing catch-up on now 
for the better part of six months. We're, we're that, that's how deep we're into this thing is six months trying to, to find some little flash in the average. Absolutely. The power we know is it's there. If he makes consistent contact, the good news is even though we have not seen him reach base as much as we have in the past, he's at least still not striking out way more than what he's walking. So there is the ability for him to at least have a very consistent eye at the plate and not be a big whiff guy. And that's probably the only reason that he's, that he's still on the roster. Ben, you mentioned playing catch up and it's uh, it's clear that he, you know, lost a lot of time because of the birth of his daughter and all of that. And, and congrats again, right? I don't think that anyone is begrudging him for, uh, for being with his family in that moment. Can the all-star break help with uh, with that catching up and, and uh, coming back stronger for the second half? I think it's a great mental reset. Certainly it's a physical reset, depending on how guys treat it and how much travel they have. Um, you know, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it sounded like a lot of guys were going to stay in and around the GTA and just really enjoy some quiet time with friends and family. So many of them now have young families as well. So it's, it's like you're mobilizing when you're trying to move your family from one spot to the next. It's, not just, it's just not, you know, buy some tickets and get out there. But the All-Star break it does a number of things. It does a number of things for everybody. And I think first and foremost, it's a mental reset for Alejandro Kirk. And the physical stuff behind it will certainly help, too, if, if there are some aches and pains that we may never know about that he's been trying to battle through. And hopefully the four-day layoff can certainly assist him and get him ready for a, a team that will need him. This is a ball club that will need Alejandro Kirk and whatever he can provide. And we know how great he is behind the plate. And I'm not discounting anything that Alejandro Kirk is providing right now. Um, he is, when you look at it, and every other team in Major League Baseball, he's a backup catcher, right? He's, he's a backup catcher. He's doing a lot of things really, really well to help the ball club. And certainly he is consistent on the receiving end and why he's so valuable to the way that the Blue Jays rotation will need him moving forward. Yeah, it's a good point on the defense, and Sportsnet's Chris Black put out a bit of a thread about it today. But Kirk, I, I think to some people's surprise, just around the narratives around him sometimes, he's well above average framing, he's well above average blocking, and he's actually controlled the run game. And now this is a, you know, it's a team game with the pitchers, but at a stronger rate so far this season than Danny Jansen, but not necessarily doing it as much with the stick so far. You mentioned that rotation. We just got the starters for this upcoming series as it's Barrios, Gosman, Kikuchi, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you make uh, of that and the potential now, you know, of Alec Manoa making his second start against the San Diego Padres? Yeah, the Blue Jays had an idea during the road trip. I want to say maybe in Chicago towards the tail end of that trip, what they were going to map out coming out of the all-star break. And um, I knew it would be a combination of Kikuchi, Barrios, and Gosman in some fashion with those three and the way they would lay it out. I think the biggest thing to take from this is separating Manoa and Kikuchi in how you move forward out of the all-star break, and that gets us into the San Diego series. And one of the big spots with Alec Manoa coming back, obviously to get five men back into this rotation. But And then the other thing is Detroit, a softer landing spot, because you didn't want to bring him right out of the break and have him face Arizona, get him in the first start out of the all-star break, then against the Padres, which is a very, they're certainly underperforming, but it is a very, very dangerous lineup, especially with the talent that goes one through nine in that Padres lineup. So this was, this was uh, a little bit of creativeness behind it. Also then trying to rest, 
Chris Bassett as well and give him him give him those bonus days because uh, he was certainly one of the guys that uh, mentioned that how much this month of June had an effect on the on the rotation and him specifically as a one of the four starters in that rotation. So a lot of this was built around conversation. A lot of it was built around matchups and how the Blue Jays thought they could best attack the first couple of weeks out of the All-Star break. Ben, really appreciate you coming on and giving us your insight. Glad you had the uh, the rest over the last couple of days and looking forward to listening to you tonight as the Arizona Diamondbacks come to town. It is going to be a great two and a half months. Congratulations on a great week of radio and, and television for you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. That's Ben Wagner, radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Nick Picoro of Diamondbacks or of the Arizona Republic, the Diamondbacks beat writer, will join us. We'll hit a little bit more on that trade and a little bit more Diamondbacks. Love it. Yeah, before we round out the show. 30 minutes to go on Jays Talk Plus. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman filling in for Blake Murphy. We will be back in a moment on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A little bit more time to go on Jay's Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Ben Schulman. She's Julia Kreutz. Jeff Fazaparty, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. And as we get ready for this Diamondback series starting tonight as the unofficial second half begins, we are joined by Nick Picoro, Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic. Nick, thank you so much for coming on today. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So I want to just jump right into it because it's what everyone's thinking about. The, The big trade, you had an article that talked about the blockbuster deal that sent Dalton Varsho to the Blue Jays, Lourdes Gurriel, Gabriel Moreno to the Diamondbacks. And, and your trade went through the assessment of how both teams have won in certain ways. Both teams, you know, there's been some faults in, in the guys here and there on both sides as well. So just what's your general assessment on how that trade has gone down, especially on the Diamondback side? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I guess I can't speak to it quite as authoritatively from the Blue Jays' side, but, I, you know, I don't see how you could say it hasn't worked out pretty well for the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, certainly they knew that Gurriel was, was a one-year rental type of situation, and they were kind of banking on his power coming back a little bit after last year. He's He's been able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, it's been, it's been very much a hot and cold type of, of year for him. I, my understanding is that's kind of the way he's, he's been throughout his career, um, where he was red hot. I think it was in May. Um, and he's kind of cooled off here these last six weeks or so. Um, but it feels like he always gives professional at bats and, and is just kind of a, a, a pretty good, a, a, you know, kind of a tough out in that, in that lineup. And they've been looking for a right-handed hitter, uh, to play a corner outfield position for a long time. So he checks some boxes there. And then Moreno really stepped in when Carson Kelly got hurt in spring training. They were sort of expecting to like have Moreno, I don't know, maybe start three times a week or, you know, two, three times a week at the beginning of the year and maybe if his performance dictated, you know, allow him to kind of grow and, and take over that job. But when Carson got hurt, um, he wound up getting, you know, five, six starts a week and, and did well, um, swung the bat really well. They kind of feel like maybe they ran him into the ground a little bit. They they have already eclipsed a, a career high in 
games caught for him, and he's tailed off here in these last, I don't know, month or so. Uh, but he's thrown the ball really well. Uh, pitchers say he does well um, calling games and, and handling a staff and all of that. So he's done really well, even if the numbers don't really jump off the page, Yasha. You mentioned, uh, Nick, that, uh, you know, Guriel is obviously a uh, sort of a rental here, and he has always been a streaky hitter. I think that the Blue Jays have seen that side of him as well. But he's mostly remembered uh, in the city, you know, by his personality and just uh, what he brings in the dugout, in the clubhouse. And uh, how has that been in Arizona? And what have your uh, impressions been about that side of Guriel? Yeah, he seems like a great guy. Um, you know, my Spanish is limited and his English is limited, but, you know, we still are able to interact. He seems like he, he just wants to connect with everybody that's around him. He seems to show up to the ballpark in a really good mood. He got his um, American citizenship this year, which was a really big deal to him. Um, he uh, I also just I feel like I hear comments. I, I heard it early on in spring training from one of their younger players talking about how You know, they learned something in the cage today from him. Um, I, I think I think he's been a great fit. Um, I think he's really well-liked. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Diamondbacks, um, you know, kind of extended themselves a little bit to try to, to, try to get him done. They don't normally, uh, you know, they're not normally big spenders in free agency. Um, but he seems like the kind of guy that just kind of fits what they need. And I'm not sure that they have any obvious replacements ready to to step in so i i could see them trying to trying to keep him around it's funny because he felt like he was part of the younger core of the blue jays but he is certainly age-wise at least a, a veteran on this team of really young talented players in arizona obviously headlined by corbin carroll i mean he is he is the talk of a lot of baseball even over here in the american league east with the diamondbacks games going on a little bit later at night before we get into to carroll what, what is the health situation with him we obviously saw him leave that game but then return later uh to a couple games before the break and get involved in all-star festivities so what what have you heard on on his health situation Yeah, well, before I say that, it does. It, it, it's a fair point about Gurriel's age. It's hard to call somebody with a purple streak of hair a, a, a <laughs> old, wise veteran, but, but that's what we've got. Yeah, I think Corbin is, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I guess he's fine. Um, he played in the All-Star game, so it was a weird thing. He, he, um, he took a swing. Well, actually, I don't, um, there, was a game, there was a game the week prior, like maybe two weeks before the break, where he had to come out. He said he just felt something weird in his shoulder. He didn't really like seem to wince or anything on any swings. But he came out of the game, sat for a few days, came back, seemed fine, hit a home run in his first, first at-bat back. Um, and then a couple of days later, he took another swing and like grabbed at his shoulder and like thought this was the end and, you know, tests were fine. And, but, so, and then he was crazy. Like he got an MRI and was in the lineup the very same day. I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, and he, uh, he took a swing that night and again, kind of like, you know, just went to reach for his shoulder. Like there's something weird going on in there, but everything seems to be testing fine from a strength and stability standpoint. So I don't know, maybe it's just a, a sensation he's going to have to deal with, or, I mean, that's what you hope, right? Uh, you hope that it's not something more serious going on that, that uh, it just isn't showing up. Um, but obviously the Diamondbacks need that guy healthy. He's been an incredible player for them. He has been the biggest difference from, you know, them being able to take a step forward from previous years. Um, he does it all. He's an awesome player. They, they need him healthy. Yeah. Carol, obviously rookie season, uh, all-star starter it seems like 
there is a ton of hype around him. And I'm wondering, Nick, if you have ever seen this level of excitement for a, a D-backs rookie here and, you know, just overall how much expectation is there uh, for Corbin Carroll with this organization? Um, well, I, I don't, I don't know the answer to your first question. The, the Dimebacks have had some really good rookies over the years and guys that get, that get hyped and get people excited. I guess I can say, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that's, that's fully delivered on them the way that he has. Um, he was, uh, you know, a top five prospect and stepped in and basically hasn't struggled at any point. I mean, he's that, I wrote something the other day. It just, it just kind of feels like his, his career trajectory is on a similar path as Mike Trout's, you know, that guy that just sort of shows up and from the, you know, the first day they play their professional game, they just do nothing but hit. And he has, I mean, I don't think he's had more than a two week stretch where he's sort of only kind of struggled, you know, um, he, uh, he's just, he's just been that guy in the middle of the lineup that his, uh, that opposing teams have to know is coming up. He can beat you in so many different ways. Uh, he's one of the fastest guys in baseball. He has way more power than you would expect for someone that's, you know, listed at, I think he's like around 5'10", 180 or something. He's just a normally built. I mean, he's obviously very strong, uh, but he just doesn't look like Aaron Judge, but he still is able to hit balls, you know, that hard. He's he's a special player. He might be he might end up being the best player I've ever covered. I I covered all of Paul Goldschmidt. I guess I covered the tail end of Randy Johnson. That's that's a different type of thing. I'm talking position players. But um but uh you know, this guy is this guy's fantastic. Um he's he's been a lot of fun to watch. I I I hope you guys get to see him do some some cool things this week. Yeah, we do too, as he has kind of pushed the Diamondbacks right to the top of this NL West. And last one before we let you go here, Diamondbacks enter the second half tied with the Dodgers. Obviously teams coming into the year that didn't necessarily look like they were going to have the same season, but the Diamondbacks were leading the division for the majority of the first half. What do you think the expectations are around Arizona on where this team should finish when this second half is done? Mm, that's a good question. It's funny how it works, right? I mean, the Diamondbacks are only a couple of games worse than, than the Blue Jays. I was looking at that, and it just feels like the the expectations or the, the mood around both teams is very different. There's a sense of disappointment, it seems like, here, or just frustration that they haven't been able to get going totally. And, and in Arizona, it's the opposite. Everybody's psyched, and, and they're pumped, and they feel like this is the beginning of something. And maybe it is. We'll see. They... they um, they have definitely got a, an interesting group of young position players. They're they're going to need some of these guys to continue to take steps forward. They're going to need to get their rotation uh, kind of more in order, um, and they probably are going to need to to figure out some bullpen roles as well. Um, it does feel like a good year to to be kind of taking that step forward in this division. The Dodgers have a lot of talent, but they're still sort of figuring some things out. I feel like they're just more vulnerable than they've ever been. The Padres obviously have been sort of a mess. Uh, they have a ton of talent and I don't think anybody would be surprised if they won, you know, 18 out of 20 or something and put themselves right back in the middle of it. And the giants have, have played well, but I just, I don't feel like it's, it's a, it's as, you know, insurmountable of a division as maybe it appeared at the beginning of the year or was over the last few years with the Dodgers giants and Padres. So, uh, we'll see that the Diamondbacks, the Diamonds are probably going to be active at the deadline and, and, uh, we'll see if they can, uh, hold everybody off. Yeah, it should be a really fun race, whether it's in the National League West or the National League Wild Card. Nick, appreciate you joining us and enjoy the series between the Blue Jays and the Diamondbacks. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you that is 
Nick Picoro, Diamondbacks beat writer for the Arizona Republic. Yeah, it's a really interesting second half lining up for the D-backs. It's a really interesting second second half lining up for the Blue Jays. We've asked a lot of other people what they think is going to go down in the second half for the Blue Jays. I think we owe them our own opinions. What what do you expect here, Julius? We have about 10-ish minutes left. Yeah. What do you expect for the Blue Jays to end up doing in the second half? I think the number one thing, I do believe that we're going to get a bounce back from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I do think that what he did in the final couple of weeks will carry over and whether that be, you know, a mental boost from the derby or whatever that may that may end up being, I do believe that he has it in him to look more like 21 Vladdy than he has so far since 2021. So, it's I'm not saying that he's going to hit 40 homers or whatever. I, we'll that leave that be, to show Ali's yeah. bold predictions for sure. I think he, <laughs> you know, bold predictions intentionally, but he said 35. Yes, yeah, certainly. But I, I, I believe that there is a, a chance that we're going to see a bounce back and he will sort of go back to being the guy that Blue Jays fans and the organization really expects him to be here. So that would be number one. And, and you know, the Blue Jays are a playoff team. I don't think that you can count them out or, you know, be as pessimistic is to say that they're not going to make it they will can they win the division that will be very very tough and I'm not too concerned Ben with you know first wild card spot or second wild card spot uh there's a point to be made that you should probably go for the second wild card spot right I think some are arguing hey you might want to even put yourself right on the fringe play uh the Minnesota or Cleveland winner uh, of that AL Central although I don't think many sports teams especially superstitious baseball teams go out there and try to not win every day. I think right. you upset the uh, the baseball gods above when you do stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm not that concerned with that specific part of it, but I do believe the Blue, the Blue Jays will be a postseason team. And if they make it, let that be a bold prediction perhaps, I think that they go as far as the CS. Okay. That's what I would say. Uh, you know, it, it, and uh, if you want to give me a bold prediction too, as part of your uh, wrap up here, I will take it. But if, if the Blue Jays can find a way to make it to the to the postseason, which they will, is is my prediction. I believe that there's a chance, a good chance, that they'll make it to the CS. Well, if it's okay, I might repurpose one of my bold predictions that we did on Jays Talk, That's and, fine. and and one of them that was that they'll sweep the Boston Red Sox in one Ooh. of the two remaining series, the team that has swept them twice so far this year, nice. but. Uh, I agree with you that I think there is more of an upswing coming. I I think a million people have said it in the team, in the media, in the fan base. They haven't even played all that well, Mm -hmm. and they're in a good spot. Now, they'd like to be in a much more comfortable spot, but considering they haven't played all that well, their opening day starter was near unstartable and then went down to the minors. I I think, like you said, I I think there's room for offensive improvement for sure. I would be surprised if Vladdy didn't have a better second half than first. I'd be surprised if Matt Chapman didn't have at least another hot month in him. I think he's a streaky hitter at times yep. as well. But yep. and, and George Springer, with the exception of the first month of the season, has been very good. Yeah. It was kind of just that first month between bad luck, not hitting as well, and then a little bit of sickness in there that really brought him down. And then I think the biggest thing for me is the fifth starter. Like, they weathered mm-hmm. multiple weeks with bullpen days, which hurts the bullpen and hurts you know their numbers in terms of starting because you'd always rather have – starters go and I think whether it's Manoa or it's Ryu 
or hey, you know, maybe it's Michael Lorenzen, whoever it is, I think the Blue Jays will have five starters going. And by simply having that, I think they should have, even without an offensive improvement, they should win more games. I mean, if Alec Manoa had a four and a half ERA this year and never went down, they'd be four or five wins better right yeah. now. And yeah. and I don't think the discourse around the team would be the same because they'd be right in the mix with the Baltimore Orioles who are right in the mix with the Tampa Bay Rays. So I, I do expect them to play better. I agree with you. While I think they can catch the division, it's going to be tough. But Chris Rose said it at the top of the hour. If you can get in to a certain extent, and we discussed it yesterday, sometimes beggars can't be choosers in this situation. And, and once you're in, things are on a much more level playing field than the 100 wins versus 87 wins might suggest. And both the Padres and Phillies really proved that to us last year. Let me ask you this, then. You spoke a little bit about the number five starter and where, where this rotation is kind of going and, and how it's shaping up. What do you expect specifically um, from Hyunjin Ryu? I know that this is very speculative at this point. For sure. But what, what can the Blue Jays say, okay, if we get this from him, we're happy. What would that be for you? I think it's, it's kind of the same quality five starter pitching they're looking for from Kikuchi. Like, Ryu is 36, I believe, and he's coming off a major injury. Now, in his two rehab appearances, he's been dominant, which is good. Uh, you never know how those really translate, but it's good. But I, I wonder how many innings you can push him for. But I think when he's been healthy, because I think for a lot of last year, even when he was pitching, he wasn't healthy. When he's been healthy, he's at least been solid for the Blue Jays and then obviously remarkable in that 2020 season. I, I think if you can get, you know, five innings, two runs given up by Ryu or... Maybe if he's really going, you get six innings. Or even if it's five innings, three runs sometimes. I think if he can keep them in games, provide some rest to help some of the other starters catch up because Kevin Gosman is on track for a career-high innings pitch. Chris Bassett is on track. So is Yusei Kikuchi. Only Barrios isn't because he's just been an absolute horse his entire career. So he's thrown 200 before. But I, I think if you can get some of that rest, and some of that will come too with can the offense help these guys out? But I, I think Ryu could be helpful for them. And I think a six-man rotation could be interesting for them. Or maybe he's insurance if things start to go a little bit sideways for Alec Manoa, too. We've only seen one start there, so we really don't know what they're getting from Manoa yet. Yeah, certainly a, a valuable addition, no matter how you slice it, no matter how you utilize him. Hyunjin Ryu will be uh, an important piece of what the Blue Jays are trying to do here. This one is one that I, uh, I'm excited to hear from you as well, which is who do you think will be maybe a, the, the biggest star or the biggest contributor in this second half, excluding guys like Bo Bichette uh, and Kevin Gosman? I, I really think that they have found something since Danny Jansen returned from the injured list. And love it. And you know, I, I do think they need Vladdy to lead from the front and stuff like that. But Danny Jansen has the ability to flip games. He's going to strike out a lot. He's going to swing and miss a lot. He's going to roll over a lot. That's just part of his game. But in a season where they're hitting far fewer home runs than they were last year, they need to be able to turn those first and second one-out situations into three runs sometimes. Or we saw it in the final game of the first half where Danny Jansen, with one swing, tilts a game that the Blue Jays really looked like they were going to lose. So I really think the healthier he gets, the better he's been getting. And 
He had a great year last year, an over 800 OPS, and I think he's creeping towards that again. He could be massive for the Blue Jays going forward. That's a great pick. Thank you. How about you? Yeah, Danny Jansen is a good one. I think that we're going to see more from Alejandro Kirk. I don't think necessarily I could put him in the star category, but we are going to see more from him, I believe. Yeah. Dalton Barsh is a good pick here. He he will probably heat up and, and, and do more at the plate than he has. But my real pick would be Matt Chapman. I honestly believe that he has the potential of, you know, getting back to that star quality and helping the Blue Jays sort of get to their finish line here. In a contract here, it should be a lot of fun. Blue Jays are taking on the Diamondbacks today. The second half starts at 7.07. You can hear all of the coverage coming up on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Appreciate you tuning in this whole week, Julia. A ton of fun working with you as well. She's Julia Kreutz. I'm Ben Schulman. Jeff Azaparty, Lance Kennedy, Jennifer Rolnick behind the scenes. A lot more coming up, so stick with us. But this has been Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 360 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.